0: Oh, wow, what a morning. Um, I just want to say, if if you don't know Jesus Christ like Joseph was talking about in a vibrant relationship kind of a way, um, I want to invite you to consider that and to come and talk. Because uh, uh, <laughs> the Lord changes lives, right? Amen. Also, I just with that, I want to encourage you just in the fact of where the Lord has placed you in home neighborhood in your work people are watching people are watching and people are hurting and people want to know people want to hear and I think our text day is even going to help us so I might even say this so let's go courageously uh, with the Lord as we move with that well I'm just so grateful to be back with you uh, seeing what the Lord is doing I love this place I just do and Uh, not because it's my job. (laughs) I just love this place and love you all. I'm just so grateful for Pastor Cody filling in for the past couple Sundays as well. And uh, man, what a deep bench we have, right? I mean, I'm just so grateful for that, and grateful for him, and taking us to uh, Gideon, and we're kind of coming back a little bit earlier before to pick up some text and fit around Mother's Day here. But I'm grateful for him, so grateful for our elders and all our pastors and and their wives. Um, we uh, some of us elders were just in Davenport for a little bit on a Friday, Saturday, and at a conference there, and just being able to hear from 15 other Harvest churches around the center part of the country, just what the Lord is doing, and again, I come back and I go, oh my Lord, I'm so blessed to be here with you, and I love being here, and the uh, Lord's really good. Well, while I'm kind of in a bit of a reflective, very, very grateful mindset here, I'd like to take a little bit of a reflection as well and uh, remind us of our Revelation study that we had done last, most of last year. And in many ways, I'm doing this because this undergirds so much of what we're talking about today, okay? So let me take a couple here and bring that back. And you see in the center here, I realize you can't see all the details of it, but that was a variety of the pictures, a variety of the text that we covered through. And we started in the book of Revelation, seeing the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ. Hey, friends, we're not talking about some hippie-sandaled Mr. Rogers with a British accent, Jesus, okay? That's not what we're talking about. It's the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ uh, who Created all things, is over all things. That's what we saw, and then we began seeing. He had a word for the seven local churches in chapters two and three. There, and, and then uh, began into the text, and we saw coming through the seven seals, and the trumpets, and the bowls, and then uh, the eternity uh, that is yet to come, and learning all about all of that, and and that whole uh, thing. Where I'll just say this: you look at the center slide, and then you grab the side slides. Whereas, the kind of the series subject for going through the book of Judges, he is. He is sovereign, he is warrior, he is pursuer. And let me say this, and I think you'll see this today. Our present series from the Old Testament fits with Revelation and what's happening yet to come. He is. He is sovereign, he is warrior, he is pursuer. And uh, I think, again, we'll see that today and excited about that. Well, also, when I was just reflecting on the Revelation series, I came across this slide from these notes that we had, and one of the final sermons on that series was talking about uh, how the vertical person uh, is, sees things rightly, we're to see things rightly. We hadn't just gone through that whole series and just left it there, but we're, it's really the book of Revelation was driving us to see things rightly and, and pull that back and also respond to accordingly. We're to see the big picture, and we're to respond face down. The Lord is in control. Hey, friends, even with all the political stuff that's going on, know this. The Lord is in control. It's okay. Don't freak. Oh, man. The Lord's in control, and uh, it's all going to be good. Whatever that looks like. And so we go face down, we go courageously. So in that, what's the big story of it all? Well, the big story is uh, what we had brought back in Revelation. In fact, let's grab this. We had, at the end of the series, pulled all these back to Revelation 2 and 3 to those seven local churches. And by the way, that's what the text says you're supposed to do. This is information for them, information for us. And so it's pulling it back, and we came upon this idea that the big story that uh, the Lord has before us includes a future story, and the big story that includes a future story matters in our now story. Listen, what's going on today, the future impacts the now. And being able to see the big story that the Lord has, including the future, matters in our now. And uh, we brought three statements up with that. We had, uh, see the Lord, see the war, uh, see the victory. And we kind of drove those in the ground for us to be able to, listen, see Jesus or see the Lord, because we're going to the Old Testament today. See the Lord, see the war. Revelation 12, listen, we oftentimes think that we're kind of, this is all there is. That this life is all there is. Friends, this is not all there is. This is just for a time. This is just we're aliens here kind of a deal. And you're like, yeah, you are an alien. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> in that. Um, but I want for us to know, listen, Revelation 12, there is a war, a spiritual war that is going on between the Godhead and Satan. We are in the battleground of this. And something far bigger than just waking up tomorrow and going to work and eating lunch and eating dinner and coming home and watching TV and waking up and going to work and eating lunch and eating dinner and watching TV and waking up and going. There is something far bigger and better and uh, that be purpose. And even Joseph uh, made reference to that. The Lord does a work and the Lord is at work. Well, with kind of all that laid down, uh, let's go to Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4, if you grab one of the Bibles behind the seats in front of you, it should be right around page 203. We're in the Old Testament, um, and uh, we are going to take a look, and we are going to see that in this, the Old Testament people really had the same thing we just talked about. The vertical person needs to see rightly. They need to see the big story, and they respond accordingly, They respond accordingly. They move ahead face down, and they move ahead courageously. And uh, it's the same for uh, every God, uh, person seeking after the Lord in the future, in the now, and in the past. Uh, So we're going to dive in. Let me pray. God, I thank you for a time in your word, just to kind of as these things laid down. Oh, I pray that you would help us to see you more. Lord, maybe some in this room today... uh, Uh, aren't sure where they are at in relationship with you, don't even really maybe even know who you are and what your word has to say about you. And I'm just thrilled that they might be here. God, I'm thrilled that uh, we would be here who are part of this church and and just seeking to grow in you and to know you. And Father, um, just after the songs, after the testimonies of what you've done, would you just show yourself? Help us to see you better. Help us to know you deeper. Help us to grab you, hold of you and who you are today. We pray that in Christ's name, amen. Well, we're in Judges chapter 4. Uh, Judges 1, 2, and uh, into uh, beginning of chapter 3 are setting the groundwork, just as a reminder. Chapter 1 is kind of a map summary of what's going on with uh, God's people, uh, the Israelites at the time back then, and, and the yellow is highlighting those tribes of Israel that we left in Judges, and it's telling us where, are in Joshua and, and Judges, where they're at now, and so we're going to topographical map, if you will, in the first chapter, then in the second chapter into the first five or six verses of chapter three, we got a picture, summary picture of what's going on in God's people's hearts. So it's kind of a map Then what's going on in God's people's hearts. In fact, let me read to you just a couple verses here out of chapter two describing the whole period, this 400 plus period of time of God's people with the judges. And it's summed up this way, verse 11, chapter two. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and they served the Baals and they abandoned the Lord. The God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, they went after other gods from among the gods of people who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. Even in his long-suffering love for them, they provoked the Lord eventually to his anger. Verse 13, they abandoned the Lord, served the Baals of the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies, Uh, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. God, in His love, was disciplining His people so that they would come back to Him. And then verse 16, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them, yet they did not listen to their judges. Man, this is a serious statement here. For they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. God's people were doing that. And that's the summary time of it. And then we picked up in chapter 3. And in chapter 3 we met three, uh, three judges um, in there. And we picked them up. The first we saw was Othniel. And I kind of grabbed a picture of General Lee and, uh, or Grant and, uh, in that. And he, he used, e, or I'm sorry, Othniel was this war general raised up to war over the king of Mesopotamia. Then we had Ehud. Um, the assassin, if you were with us with that, what a crazy story. Lord raised him up to take out King Eglon. Remember, he made the spear, stuck in it a the whole thing. Shamgar, one verse at the end of verse 30, the one verse man, he was, uh, the guy with the ox goad that killed some 600 Philistines. Three men raised up by the Lord, who I would say saw rightly and responded accordingly. Um in what was going on with it all. So now we're in Judges 4, and here we have a new map. I'm going to grab a hold of this on the screen. You can see it here. We're looking north to south. Picture you're in an airplane north of the Sea of Galilee. You're looking south over the territory there. We'll be adding to this map because it matters in it. We've got some new people to meet with some funkified names, and I'm going to hack them up. Um, Bless my Hebrew. Here we go. We are going to meet, especially two individuals here. You see their names on the center screen lower. We'll get some pictures as time moves along. We are especially going to be seeing and meeting this woman, Deborah. What a woman. A woman who saw rightly, responded accordingly. And we're going to meet a man named Barack, who uh, I would say uh, saw rightly but struggled to be courageous. We'll see that here in just a second. Here we go, verse 1 through 3. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. How sad is that? Here again, God's people, after this time, are doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Um, And uh, it's like once Ehud dies off, God's people go back to where they're really at. Listen, you can cover for a while, but eventually the heart shows. Verse 2, and the Lord sold them into the hand of, okay, it's, you read it like Jabin, but it's actually like Yabin, be, we'll probably be going back and forth between Yabin and Jabin, sounds like a vegetable, got it, but that's this guy's name. By the way, the Lord sold them. This is the multiple times this has happened now. We saw in chapter 2 as a summary, the Lord sells his people over for correction and discipline. By the way, there's really one positive thing out of that whole sad thing of the Lord selling them off is you cannot sell what you do not own. There's encouragement in this selling because he owns them. They're his And even in the selling of them, the Lord still owns them. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Yabin, king of Canaan. Uh, He is king of uh, a large territory. Uh, This terminology, uh, it says he reigned in Hazor, which is in kind of the northern part of things here as we meet Jabin he 's a king of Canaan. Uh, this is we're kind of in the northern territory that may have extended beyond this. The term that 's used there in it is as it could be he 's like the king over the various kings of the territories. The point being this is a big, powerful dude, and he reigned in Hazor, this far north side, but he 's not the only guy that we meet. We meet Siera. Uh, this is a guy, Sisera, the commander of his army was Cicera, who lived in Herosheth, Hagoyim. Uh, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Uh, for he had 900 chariots, uh, Cicera did, of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for how long? And that's a long time. Well, let's talk on Cicera a little bit here. He's the, uh, he is the uh, kind of the five-star general of uh, Yabin's uh, army here, or of his territory, of his reign here. Uh, Cicera lived in Heroshethagoyim. I'm actually doing all right with some of these words, so uh, Harhag is short for that. Um, It just got too long to put out into the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, He lived in that area. That's important. You'll see here in just a minute. And he is reigning over 900 chariots of iron. By the way, in the Iron Age, this isn't just sticks and wood and throwing rocks and spears or uh, as pieces of wood. These are iron chariots. Uh, It's a premier military uh, of the day. By the way, chariots were for war in the plains, In fact, you can see here on this territory that I have lined here because you can't quite pick it out on the topography of things. The areas outside of the dotted line here uh, to the north or down to the lower section and then up to the south or the, uh, the higher section on the screen, those are pretty mountainous areas there. They may not look like it, but they are. Chariots do not do mountains well, agreed? I mean, when was the last time you rode a chariot up a mountain? right? Okay, you wouldn't do that. Now, chariots are also not for forest areas, because (laughs) giddy up, (coughs) okay, it's just not happening. Now, chariots are also not for like very rocky, bouldery kinds of ground with a horse and a chariot. It's not working. Here's the point, and it's an important point, Chariots are for war in the plains, in the flatlands. By the way, not in the heavy, super soft sand either. uh, Because horses and the wheels that they had in those days that were not very wide would not be able to run in soft sand. This is plain military war arsenal. And he had 900 of them. All of that's information. By the way, is it, would it not be true that it would be very hard to ride a chariot through very muddy ground? Would that not be hard? Yeah, I would think so. Hold on to that thought. Okay? So, verse three see, Sarah, he oppressed. How did he oppress, by the way? What's it say? Cruelly or severely. Know this he oppressed severely. And he is under Yabin's. Uh, he is the king. Cisera is the general. I.e., both of them are cruel, cruel men to the Israelites. This is just not oppression, but the text tells us severe, cruel oppression. Hey, friends, I have to say this. Um, We've all experienced hard times and hard situations and hard relationships. We've even experienced probably some financial strains and and hard times. And maybe you are even experiencing some of those kinds of things now. But I do need to say this. I don't think any of us likely in this room know what it's like to experience severe, cruel oppression for 20 years. And I'm bringing that to the table because the text tells us here at this point, and I think sometimes the way uh, 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 we can read the rest of the text, we kind of like, how could someone do that? It's kind of like with Ehud. How could Ehud do that to the king, stab him like an assassin? makes total sense. After you've been cruelly oppressed by cruel, horrific people, when bin Laden was killed now just five years ago, The nation cheered. Why? Because he was a cruel man. And you have to read this from the understanding. 20 years of cruel oppression. For all of those of you who are under 20 years, you would have never have known anything like what you know today. That's what they were living in. Keep that in your back of your mind. Yabin and Cicero were cruel, and yet in it, The Lord allowed his people to be sold into that. Wow. Crazy stuff. Verse 3, the people of Israel, they cry out for help. Notice, they don't cry out for repentance, in repentance. They don't cry out for forgiveness. They cry out for help. And I get it. I mean, goodness sakes, after one year of cruel oppression, after like a week of cruel oppression, Lord, Help! But this is not repentant help. God is trying in his love to put them under heat that they would see the condition of their heart. And yet in it, they don't cry out that, oh God, we have stepped away from you. Oh God, we have whored after other small g gods. None of that, just God help. And uh, that's what's going on in the text. So let's pick up verses four and let's meet Deborah, and what a woman. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of, <laughs> it's Lappidoth. Now does that not sound like a totally, let's mock this boy's name? <laughs> Lapidoth, poor guy, uh, we know almost nothing about him, but we just, and it's not put there to be about Lappidoth. it's put there to also tell us this. Deborah was a prophetess and Deborah was a wife. It's set in context here. And also Deborah was a judge. She was judging Israel at that time. Verse 5, she used to sit under the palm of Deborah uh, between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up uh, to her for judgment. Okay, just kind of quickly here, a couple things. You can see bethel Ramah, down by, more towards the the Dead Sea down there. It's, It's in that territory. It's very centralized when you look at the whole map of the Promised Land area. She would, it's saying that she would sit under the tree of Deborah. Now, it wasn't the kind of thing that in Deborah's day, she was like, Like she grabbed her chair and she went out and she set it down by a tree and then she got a a piece of wood and wrote tree of Deborah and then nailed it above there. It was after Deborah. This is part where I'm getting at is the respect for her. After Deborah's time, people referred back to where she was by a tree that was kind of later people named the tree of Deborah out of respect for her. This is where Deborah sat. It's not to worship her like sometimes it's done today. It's none of that. But it's to see her and to respect what had happened. She was a prophetess. People of Israel came up to her for judgment and uh, was judging Israel at that time. Listen, ladies, this has got to be, it's like finally we've we've come across Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, and Gideon. And finally, finally one of (laughs) us. And I totally get that. I think it's really, really cool. Here with Deborah. Here is this unique woman, given a unique gifting, for a unique time in God's redemptive story, to serve uniquely God's people in a unique place. By the way, ladies and men, should be the same for us. Note this: the call is not that every woman be like Deborah just as the call is not that every man be like Othniel or Ehud or Gideon or Shamgar. But this is one unique woman that God uniquely put in a place and a time, gifted uniquely to serve God's people in a unique manner unto the Lord's glory. And by the way, so should you and I. God's people uniquely gifted in a unique time to serve God's people uniquely. Remember small groups? You're in a small group if you're in one, and we've just gone through talking about that. Members of one body, but uniquely gifted. The arm doesn't complain to the leg that it's not a leg. The arm and the leg work together, uniquely created for unique functions. And and bring this out, because what a cool lady. She sits under the tree uh, in this territory and uh, uniquely uh, brings what the Lord has gifted her and placed her to be super cool. By the way, this is oftentimes the point in this discussion where the whole text kind of moves into a battle of the sexes kind of a discussion. You know, a role of men, a role of women thing. Oh, I'm just, gonna tell, I'm just not going to do that. You don't need to. Just look at the text and see what takes place here. What a woman. What a woman. And we do not admire her, ultimately, We admire her relationship with her God is the cool thing. Faithfully serving the Lord. Let's see how she does that and responds accordingly. That's Deborah. Verse 6, She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinom, from Kadesh, Naphtali. I'm getting through them. Um, and said to him, okay, here, let's just pause there because we meet uh, Barak. Barak, I have no picture on the screen yet on purpose because uh, of a couple things you'll see in just a minute. But we meet him, he's a Abinom from of Naphtali. This is north of the Sea of Galilee. That information is there because it's actually quite important. Here, this Barak will find out who he is. He's actually very close where, very possibly, King Yabin is reigning. He's very close in proximity to the center of the cruel oppression. This boy knows the oppression that's been going on. And Deborah sends and summons him, by the way. How cool is that? This is a lady that is living in a place of respect and authority. And she calls this guy. And uh, but now here is where the discussion oftentimes gets interesting because Barack. Here, there's an inflection in how you read the text on how some see Barack. And you can see here on our first picture of Barack. Uh, let's bring that up. Okay, I know this is Denzel Washington, totally get it. But is that not a cool picture? Uh, anyway, and I know they didn't wear glasses then, but I'm trying to, d- to bring right people here for the things. So here's the deal. Some see Barack as the coward. As the coward here. Let me show you why, because how you read this text. Uh, Let me read it for you in an exaggerated way to see why some think Barak was a wimp. All right? Uh, Here it is. She said to him, Barak, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? like it's already been commanded, go, gather your men in Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Yabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. And Barak said to her, oh, Deborah! okay, exaggerated, if you will only go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, no, 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 no. I cannot go because I'm a wimp and a coward. And she said, I will surely go with you then. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Caesar into the hand of a woman. <laughs> then Deborah rose and went with Barakta. Okay. Here's the thing, Um, I'm exaggerating it, but some of the conversation is that way. Four reasons why I think Brock was not a wimp, Brock was not a coward. First reason for that is, um, I don't know if I've met a general before, but I would just say it this way, generals are not cowards. A general does not become a general. A Barak does not come into the position that this Barak is in if he is a coward. That doesn't happen. Okay, generals are not cowards. Secondly, why would the Lord put a coward uh, in Deborah's direction uh, given out here to lead to win a war where they are going to win here unless they wanted to It just doesn't make sense. Third, Deborah does not respond like Barak is a coward. She actually says, Surely I will go. Uh, and fourth, Hebrews chapter 11. At the end of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 33, the writer of Hebrews makes the comment after telling of men and women of great faith as examples, he goes on to say, I could just give you additional examples of these men and women, like I could give you Gideon and I could give you Barak in Hebrews 11 and it just goes all contrary to that wait a second if Barack is a wimp here why in Hebrews 11 is he put out is a possibility of someone who is living faithfully unto the Lord in some shape, manner, or form because uh, I don't think Barack was a wimp I think he did struggle to be courageous but he was not a wimp so I would instead replace this picture with this picture this is a much cooler picture of Denzel Washington in the movie Eli. Um, that's a team, by the way, that we're going to see rocks it out here. Barak the general um, saw the Lord, and yet in and all struggled to be courageous. In fact, let me reread it with a different inflection. Verse 6. Deborah sent and summons Barak, the son of Abinom, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him... Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Oh, by the way, uh, I think the New International Version says it a little bit better in this. This is is a rhetorical statement. Remember, Deborah is a prophetess. She is speaking from the Lord. She is the mouthpiece of the Lord. She is basically coming to Barak and saying, listen, Barak, the Lord has a word for you. This is the first time this is coming, and here is what it is Barak, the the Lord says, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 of the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Caesarea. By the way, how cool is that? God is going to draw out Caesarea. God is going to draw him out. And the, the general of Yabin's army to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots. How many did he have? That's quite a meeting. And his troops, and I, God, will give him into your hand. And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Hey friends, I would say the same thing if I was him. I think here's what's going on. Deborah comes and Deborah gives to Barak this, what the Lord has said. Barak, you are going to, the Lord is telling you to go. He is going to bring victory, Barak, head on to that. And, and if I knew that this was a prophet or a prophetess from the Lord and I'm going into war, I don't think Barak was cowardly in going to war. He was going to go to war, but my goodness, I want the one who speaks for the Lord with me, right? I mean, I don't care if it's a man or a woman. I want him with me. And when I'm coming over to war, I want Deborah there because Deborah is speaking the word of the Lord. And yet, here's the thing. Here's the thing is I've just been wrestling through this all week with this. Here's the thing about it. I think the thing that Barak struggled with was the fact of just going based on God's word alone. Listen, by the way, Gideon kind of struggled with that. And by the way, Moses struggled with that. Exodus chapters 3 and 4. By the way, Jeremiah struggled with it. By the way, the disciples at times struggled with it. And let me tell you something I know I have. I know I have. Is Barack seeing the big story? Yeah, I think he is. He is seeing the Lord. He is seeing the war. He is seeing the victory. Yes, I think he is. Is he responding face down? Yes, I actually think that he is. I want the word of the Lord with. Is Barack responding courageously to God's word alone? No. No. and Morris says, a great man, a great woman, realizes his or her own inadequacy. When called by the Lord to do some great task. But the divine call is never alone. It is always accompanied by a divine provision. What the Lord has uniquely called you to do and to be, friends, the Lord equips you to do and to be that. What the Lord calls you to do and to be, the Lord equips you for it. Sorry. I did not bring this up in the first service because I knew it would do this. Man, it's been a struggle for me. Been a struggle. Lord, I can't do this. This has just gotten too big. But what the Lord calls you to do and to be, the Lord fully provides And the question is, am I, are we, are you going to be courageous in knowing that? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, he says, such is the confidence, oh gosh, sorry. He says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward the Father. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from the Lord. And by the way, he's talking about the doing of ministry. What the Lord calls of us to do, he equips us to do. Barack is struggling with courage. Let's keep going, sorry. Verse 11. Um, I'm sorry, no, we're down, uh, uh, then Deborah rose, went with Barak to Kedesh, and Barak called out uh, Zebulun and Naphtali to Kedesh, and 10,000 men went up on his heels, and Deborah went with them, they did it, they went there. Verse 11, now Heber, I'm sorry, Haber <laughs> hey is actually, uh, hey bear. Um now Haber hey the Kenite, uh, Kenite, a uh, neat, whatever, had separated from his others and the descendants of uh, Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent far away from the oak of Zee, and there, which is near Kadesh. Okay. <laughs> Bless my heart reading these. Um, okay, why is this here? You'll find out in a minute. I just want for you to know this. Uh, this guy, Heber, moved up north for a purpose. I'm going to leave it there. Let's keep reading. Verse 12. uh, Verse 12. uh, When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinom, had gone up to Mount Tabor... Mount Tabor, where is that? We can see it right here. Mount Tabor is within this plain territory. This is a centralized, very key spot here uh, at the time. Uh, Let's bring up another slide here to show an actual picture of Mount Tabor. This is Mount Tabor as it is even today. Mount Tabor in a plain area, if you wanted to be able to get up somewhere high, to be able to look out as far as you possibly could to see over the plains, you wanted to get on top of Mount Tabor. And the Lord said, go plant. Yourself there on top of that hill, you'll be able to see the whole plain territory or most of it on a nice, clean, clear day. By the way, it's hard for 900 chariots to get up that hill, and so there they are encamped out in that area of verse 13. Uh, see, Sarah called out uh, all his chariots, 900 of them, their iron chariots, and all the men who were with him from herosheth Hagoyim uh, to the river Kishon. Can you get the idea? So they're like, giddy up, boys, let's go. Okay, <laughs> something like that. They're, they're coming over. Then uh, uh, verse 14, and Deborah said to Barak... By the way, we don't know if this was one of those um, freedom kind of calls to the entire military or whether this was just one of these things to where this is literally Deborah just talking to Barack. I'm not quite sure. I think it might be more of the latter, but I have no reason to base that. But, but it says said to Barack, and she says, Up. For this is the day in which the Lord has given Cicera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? Is that not? Now, that's a woman. Out up on a battlefield, up top of the mountain, I'm assuming in this, talking to Barak. Up, boy. Now's the time. Remember, she speaks the word of the Lord. And what a blood, that's why I would have wanted her with me. Because, man, I could have used that nudge in the war here. By the way, let me say this. Does not the Lord go out before you? Does not the Lord go out before you? The same word is true today, friends. The Lord goes out before. So we keep reading. So Barak went down, that's why it says down, from the mountain, from Mount Tabor, with 10,000 men. What a picture. Wouldn't you just love to have had like a helicopter with a movie camera catching all that? Coming, coming down. Verse 15, and the Lord routed Cicera. Who did? It wasn't the fact of 10,000, or 10,000 men coming down off of the mountain and doing this that Cicera uh, wet his pants and ran away. It was the fact that the Lord routed. How did the Lord rout? Look, it says, routed Sarah and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge edges. What's going on? Well, we'll find out next week when we read chapter 5 for Mother's Day. We'll find in the text that it tells us that God brought a downpour of rain. Right at the perfect time. And the plains area is known that when it gets wet, it gets soggy. It's like a a, a mush, and the rivers overflow. And how cool is this? God knows exactly who's going where, who's going when, and God brings a downpour and soaks the whole area, and horses and chariots don't do good in that. And God is bringing victory right before their eyes. And Cicera got down from his chariot in all this chaos and fled away on foot. Yeah, now look at the big, cruel man. Verse 16, and Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Herosheth Hagoyim. And all the army of Cicera fell by the edge of the sword. In other words, God poured it down and they took it over from there. Not a man was left. What a victory. What a victory. Verse 17. But see, Sarah fled away on foot. He was the one that got away. Where did he go? He went to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber. That was back verse 11. The Kenite. Uh, for there was peace between Yabin the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. By the way, did you see that? Her husband was in a posse who had come out of the lineage of, of Moses' father-in-law. They had moved up north, which is why they were up north. It doesn't matter to us, but back when people were reading it day, it mattered to them. That's how they got up north. And on top of that, uh, Yabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite, they had a, a, a peace pact. So when uh, 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 Cicera meets up with this J.L., uh, who's this distant relative living in twenty years of oppression? By the way, let's go to the picture of J.L. here, uh, if we could. And uh, this is an actual picture of her from back in the day, and uh, is a really sweet lady. But here's one of the cool things: she's an assassin. Watch this, we'll see it in just a second. And bat. And she looks so sweet, she looks so normal, and yet in the back of her head, there is this warrior. Get a load of this gal. Or maybe you don't want to. <laughs> Keep your eyes open, men, watching golf this afternoon. Okay. <laughs> Jael, the wife of Heber the Canaanite, for there was peace among them. So uh, verse 18, a Jael came out to meet Caesar and said to him, turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. In other words, she's simply saying this. Hey, you can come in here because by boy, the they had a peace agreement. They had a peace agreement. And so she's like, no, you, you can come in. She knows something's going on here. So he turned aside to her into the tent. By the way, that was so not normal. Uh, that you just serious problems for a man uh, outside of your family coming into the tent like that back in the day just would not have happened. But this is not normal. And so what did she do? She covered him with a rug. And then uh, uh, verse 19 and he, see Sarah, said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And she said to her, and he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent and if any man comes in and asks you, is anyone here Say no? In other words, lie. Verse 21, but Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. <laughs> Giddy up. Karen, could you come on up here? Then she went softly to him. Why? Because he's sleeping. And she drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep, asleep from weariness. You go, girl. No, not you. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, let me show you something. a couple things here. Number one, she grabs a hammer and a tent peg. Why, that seems odd. No, actually, in that day, um, the woman actually set the tents up. So the hammer and the tent peg was in the toolbox of every lady. They were the ones who drove it. So while while the others were doing other responsibilities, this was the normal action of a woman back then. So this hammer and this this tent peg, (laughs) that was very scary to me in her hands, um, (laughs) This was Norma Toolage that back in that day, she knew how to use it. And so here's this guy asleep. And what does she do? While well, he's... <laughs> 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 while, well, yeah, and, and by the way, because chapter five, it tells that she came up and straddled over. I'm telling you, the text gets quite graphic. Straddles over just like she's doing. And takes he's down. Obviously, his head's turned to the side. Takes the tent peg and... <laughs> now, there's a part of that that you're like, that is so cool. And there's a part of that that you're like, that is incredibly... Whoa. Hey, friends, uh, part of what I want to do here, and part of why I had Karen come up is um, sometimes we so sterilize the Bible and make God this precious moments, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, clean, everything's all Barney with God. Um, Know this, the Lord is loving and gracious and long-suffering. But he understands there's a war that's going on. And you do not fight wars with cotton candy and Q-tips. And it's so interesting because the text doesn't tell us much about Jael. It doesn't tell her about where she's at and her relationship status with the Lord. There's so much, so many questions we want to know. But you know what? God gave us everything we needed to know about this story. Because ultimately, it's not about Jael. Ultimately, this is a story about a conquering king who reigns over all. And in this, if you remember, back in the text, uh, in verse 9, when um, Deborah told Barak... To listen, the road on which you are going as a result of what you've been saying surely will not lead to your glory for the Lord will sell Sarah into the hand of a woman. And when you're reading the story, you think that's Deborah. And yet later on, we come to find out that it's Jael in this, that the Lord knew exactly what was going to happen. And yet in it, Barak in his couragelessness loses an opportunity to be able to even see the glory shown at his own hands in the war. And listen, it's just true. Men talk about it to each other and it's not a cut down of any kind, even on the golf course when you're pussing and putting and someone misses the the going in and you're like, nice shot, Nancy. (laughs) By the way, the Lord is not insulting a woman, is not insulting even uh, a Barack in this. But the Lord is allowing a general to be trumped by a woman whom we know almost nothing about. And I would even suggest it was actually a loving correction of the Lord to help Barack. Barack, listen to me. In your mindset, as the big five-star general, listen to me. I can use a woman you don't even know to take the guy out. And he did. Let, Let me conclude this. Verse 21. She took a tent, Peg, drove it through his head, and he died. Verse 22. And behold, as Barak the pursuing, was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead. And I think a great teaching moment for Barak with the tent peg in his temple. Wow. Ladies, um, let me bring it to this place here because of time. As a female. um, In a day and age where people are looking, and especially you young ladies, where we are looking for heroes, I want to encourage you to consider Deborah a hero. Not because Deborah was awesome, but because Deborah was uniquely gifted by the Lord. And Deborah in that saw the Lord and faithfully, face down, courageously put into place the unique gifting that God had gifted her with to serve God's people. And out of that, God got great glory. Listen, ladies, that's the kind of woman you want to be because God has uniquely in Christ gifted you. And God has uniquely placed you in a unique place, in a unique time in the story of His redemptive history. And God desires that you would be the kind of woman that puts into place the unique gifting that He has given to you, in the unique place in the unique time with God's people and those that God has put around you, and that God would use you. Deborah can be the reality of your story. And I want to hold her up properly, not worship her, but hold her up. Look at her. Look at this lady. More like that. More like that. Right, ladies? More like that. By the way, I also want to say to the guys and to the ladies as well, if you want to see someone who is seeing rightly and who is responding face down and yet in it all struggling to be courageous, I would say take a look at Barack. The Lord's going to do what the Lord's going to do, and he's going to get his purposes done. But yet in it, sometimes, don't we struggle? Don't we? And I want to tell you, I think Barack is actually a grand encouragement. Because the Lord didn't trash him because he struggled in his courageousness. But he learned. And the Lord kept him. And the text finishes, verse 23. So on that day, God, I would encourage you to underline that. On that day, God, God God subdued Yabin. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Yabin until they destroyed Yabin, the king of Canaan. So on that day, God. Friends, that's the big story of chapter 4. That is the big story. Yes, Deborah, yes, Barack, yes, JL, those are sub stories, but the big story is on that day, God conquered. God showed himself great. He is the big story. He is the big story of salvation in Christ. He is the big story of what it means to be able to walk in Christ. He is the story. And as we look at this, I just, the closing thought to consider is see rightly, see rightly, see the Lord rightly. Like Deborah and Barak, notice with this two series coming together here. See the Lord; He is sovereign. See the war; He is the warrior. See the victory; He is the pursuer. We say that again: See the Lord; He's sovereign. See the war that's going on, but know this: He is the warrior. And see the victory, he is the pursuer, and then respond accordingly, face down with courage. Oh God, I pray that you would help us. I love these stories that tell of these real people, vulnerable people. Some of them are just, we are able to see what wickedness leads to. Some of them, like Deborah, are are just individuals who we just look at and we go, there's hope. Oh God, it's your gifting. It's it's, it's your deal. It's about who you are. We look at Barack and we see him, and it's so encouraged by him personally this week. Just the fact that here's a guy who I think does see the Lord and does see the war and does see the victory and is even face down in his heart, and yet in it struggles, if you will, with the courage to be able to accomplish what you've called us to do. And God, that's the truth for moms and dads. That's the truth for teens in a world that is calling them to whore after other gods. That is the same that's true for us as believers in our workplace. We sometimes struggle with the courage to be able to press ahead because of who you are and what you've called us to do and be. And so, Lord, I just would humbly, face down at this point, just ask you, would you help us? And that doesn't mean that we sit and we wait for you to do it, but in the going, in the up, as Deborah called We go knowing that you have gone before. And because of that, we can have courage. In your name we pray, amen.